Hi, this is Heather Bonham, and you are listening to the Midlife Best Podcast, and this is episode 077. Today on episode 77, I'm excited to bring you the audio from my Facebook live video that was on September 22nd, and it was the kickoff to the Midlife Best Book Club. So I've been talking about this, it's super exciting, and the book club is held live on my Midlife Best Facebook page, and that's on Sunday evenings. It started on September 22nd, but we're going to run uh, four to five weeks total, and it will be 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook Live. Now, I would love to have you all join me live. It's great when people can ask questions and participate in the live event. But I know not everyone can, so you can listen to it on the Facebook page with the replay that's saved there, or you can listen to it here on the podcast. But please get the book, follow along. Next week, we're going to be doing chapters two and three. So I'm thankful for the technology that makes all this possible, and I would love to have you join us in one way or another. Get that book if you don't already have it, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. We already uh, covered the intro in chapter one, and so September 29th, we'll be covering chapters two and three. And if you want the study guide, it's in a weird place um, because for a Facebook page, I couldn't upload any PDFs except under the About section of the page where it offers a menu as if it were a restaurant. Um, But if you click there, that's where the study guide is. So without further ado, here we go. Well, hi, it's Heather Bonham, and it is time for the Midlife Best Book Club. So welcome. I am going to just look on my screen. I'm filming with my phone. Um, I'm going to try to go on the screen too and see if I can move everything over. I'm not sure if I can actually do that. So this is kind of a a first for me, um, doing the live and being on the page at the same time. So um, I may not be able to see questions, and that's what I'm trying to do right now is see um, in the live feed from the page. So let's look at that and... We'll see. We'll see if I can or not. So um, hopefully you guys are out there. I had people RSVP and say that they were coming. So if you can post in the um, in the comment section right here. I'm trying to be. Oh, it won't let me do it. Well, we'll see if we can. So it is all about the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And I got started on this book a few years ago. I heard Dan Miller talk about the book. I heard Cliff Ravenscraft talk about the book. I listened to Kent Julian's podcast and Kent Julian did a whole series on this book, The Big Leap. And so it was, it just kept popping up. It kept showing up and I kept hearing people talk about this book. And I thought, okay, I have to read the book. And at that time, I had a really long commute. And so I listened to the audiobook on my commute. And I thought, wow, how have I missed this book? How has this book been around since 2009? And it's a bestseller. And 
I never read this book. And so it really affected me in terms of thinking about the career change that I had already made and, um, and what I really wanted out of my career. I mean, at that time, like I said, I had a commute. I was commuting. I had changed careers into teaching, but I was commuting about three hours a day. And I did that for several years. And the problem was I liked where I was, but I just knew that I, I couldn't maintain that forever. That wasn't what I was supposed to do. And so um, I also knew that what I was doing, although it was a good match, although I was happy, it wasn't the best match for me. And I can't say um, that this book was the only factor because there were certainly other factors, other books that I read, coaching that I got, meetings that I went to um, that expanded my mind about career possibilities. But the book was very impactful for me. And so, like I said, I listened to the audiobook and I also bought the book. I bought, I know a lot of times they come, this comes out backwards on Facebook Live, um, but I bought the book as a used book and I started going through the book again in time to do this. And so, uh, this is my second deep time through the book and, um, and I'm finding so much. It's like every time you go through a book, you think, I don't remember that being in there or I don't remember that being so powerful or so important. So I will just show you, even though it might be backwards, um, I mean, notes. Like I've gone through and paper clipped and look, like, look at all this. Can you see that? there, pull it back. I mean, lots of, lots of notes on the intro and chapter one. And that's just what I want to talk about today. Let me see if I can now see the live and see any comments. I don't know. I just can't see them. So I wish that I could. Um, I'll figure this out for next time. It's just the first time that I've done it. So what I wanted to do is go through the intro, go through chapter one. And by the way, I am sitting on my back porch and um, it's starting to get dark. And so I have a little glow light lamp thing clipped, clipped on up here. Hopefully that makes it so that you can see. Um, but it's starting to get dark, but everyone's busy in the house and the dogs are in the house. So the back porch is the safest place. And then I had to go with the headphones because the crickets are so loud and the, the frogs are and the crickets are going crazy right now. So um, it definitely sounds like nature. But anyway, this is a perfect relaxing spot to do a book study. So um, I just wanted to go through and then what I did was I made up some questions that you can um that you can certainly, oh, hi, Angela. I see Angela popped up. Oh, good. Things are popping up on my phone. I have my phone open. I have my computer open. Hi. And I typed up some questions that are thought provoking. Um, and I could not, because this is a Facebook page and not a Facebook group, but I'm just going to show you, these are kind of things that I'm going to go, go through here. You can get this. So because it's a page and not a group, I couldn't attach a PDF. 
but I found a workaround. So because it's a page, they have a feature to add a menu as if I were a restaurant. So where I could add a menu, so if you go to the Midlife Best page and you go to About, then you click on where there's a menu, a menu, but what the menu is is the questions and reflection for this week. Now, next week, I'll have to figure out how to add more. Um, oh, Theodore, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. Good, things are working now. Um, so is this will be recorded, so because it's live, I have the option to save it at the end. So barring any really crazy technical difficulties, um, this will be recorded. This will be saved in the Midlife Best Facebook page. But I'll also have these questions that I would uh, really encourage you to go through at the end uh, and just ask yourself and think about and reflect. You could even do some journaling and that kind of thing. Um, because I have a background as a teacher, I really like to make study guides. That's what I do. It's my thing. And so I want to provide you with that. So um, the intro and, the, and chapter one start off with a bang. They really do. If either of you have anything that you'd like to add, um, we're going to jump right in. I am expecting some more people, but I know with schedules and it being Sunday evening, sometimes things get derailed. So I don't want to take up too much of people's time. Um, but the intro in chapter one, right away, it hits pretty hard and it questions some belief systems and it questions um, things that we might hold to be true and that we might think we, uh, we just take for granted. You know, so the first thing right from the beginning, they, you know, they call the introduction, um, or he does, Gay Hendricks, remove your last obstacle to success in, and then it's kind of everything, right? It's wealth, work, and love. And I'm just reading off that study guide. So I think he's making some bold claims, um, I know from completing the whole book that he goes bold the whole way through. And then into chapter one, it's preparing for your big leap. So what's interesting to me is he doesn't say what the big leap is. He kind of talks about going for it before he explains it, which I think is interesting because it leaves you wondering um, right from the beginning. Well, what is it? What is it? And um, so one of the first questions that I asked is just on this resource guide, um, just from seeing that book cover. And again, here it is. So even if it's backwards, there, there he goes. That little fish, that little goldfish jumping into that big tank. And I'm curious what do you think when you see that? Um, and what does that immediately say to you? So put your answers. Let me see what you guys think. And I'll tell you what I think. And I'm having my tea. No? Okay, I'll go. Um, 
So I guess for me, it says going on to something bigger in life. And that bigger bowl is his whole world, his whole environment. And um, yeah, changing your context, Theodore, changing your context. The fact that that's pretty scary because in that moment, (laughs) that fish in between that jumping, you know, there's nothing there. There's no safety. There's no oxygen for him because he can't breathe the air. Um, But yeah, changing your whole situation. So again, he goes bold even from the cover. Like he's, he's claiming wealth, work, love, kind of the whole context, everything. Um, And I think it's daring. It's daring. It's daring to want to take that kind of a leap. And it's daring for an author to make those kind of claims. So um, right from the beginning, one of the things that I noticed a couple of places in the intro and, and in chapter one, and again, this is right from my study guide, but it says, at what point does fear stop protecting us and begin to hold us back? Now, the author to me is pretty against the concept of fear. And he talks about how fear just comes from us wanting to keep our limitations because we feel comfortable there. And I know that's true and I know we all do it, but I also think there's this necessary fear sometimes like that fear does have a place. And we know that um, if you have kids and I'm a parent, we certainly know that fear helps to keep kids safe sometimes. If they're afraid of loud noises, as a baby even, that's something that they know when to be on alert. But then um, I guess obviously we take fear too far and we take it into places that it doesn't belong. So um, right from the beginning, right early on, he starts talking about fear and he starts talking about challenging your belief system. Um, And he talks right from the beginning, right on page three, about this thing he calls the zone of genius. And I'm sure we can kind of guess what genius is and what a zone of genius is. And so right from the cover, right from the intro, I could tell immediately that it was about going from something small to something that is your genius, whatever that genius is. Now, again, he doesn't explain that right away. And I think that's so clever, interesting, but frustrating too, because at the beginning, I wanted to know, you're talking about leaping into the zone of genius. What is it? How do I know what it is? How do I find it? Um, And that, my friends, takes the rest of the book or a lot of the rest of the book. But he does really get into that in chapter one um, about what the zone of genius is. I think it's a process to figure out. And um, I also think that the author, in hindsight, is writing this, it sounds like about 20 years after he started to understand. So um, yeah, he has hindsight and it it sounds easy to him looking back, but in the moment it's not easy. So uh, he talks in here about being open to learning, which I think is super important. Uh, Again, as a teacher, as a coach, you know, we have to be open to learning. I have 
been open to different paths in terms of my education, in terms of my career. Um, and I'm sure you all have too. If we weren't open to learning, we probably wouldn't be reading a book like this. And so I think it's almost a guarantee that someone who starts a book like this and sticks with it is open to learning and open to the change process. So he kind of calls that out right early on. Um, and he talks a lot about excuses. And that's one of the, the first things that I noticed in here. And I wrote um, excuses and excuses busted. So I thought about that a lot. And I thought about how we all have so many. Um, and Dan Miller has this great thing. He's mentioned it a lot of times on his podcast and in his books. And he talks about how when he grew up um, as a poor Mennonite farm kid that he could look back and he could say being poor, having to get up at five in the morning, having to work, you know, those things were super difficult and made his life hard. Or he could say those things were difficult and they made his life good and they made him who he is. And I think that's always true. Um, so another thing that I, I thought about and that I noted in the study guide is what's your gut feeling or your gut reaction to the statement that he makes, um, on page 11, he says, and I'll read this right here. See, so he talks a little bit more about what the zone of genius might be. And he says, if we argue for our limitations, that we get to keep them. If I argue for my limitations, I get to keep them. And that's pretty powerful. Um, my gut reaction to that is, I think most of us are fighting our limitations. But his point is, if we have excuses and we argue for those excuses, then what we're trying to do is keep our limitations because we're trying to justify them. And we're trying to say, well, this is why, this reason is why I can't achieve or I can't go further. Um, so I'm just going to scoot over here a little bit. Sorry, rearranging, rearranging on the, on the patio. So yeah, I think that's probably true, but kind of tough medicine again, so early in the book. Um, so yeah, tough medicine, but, but probably necessary. And he's not afraid to say those things to the reader and say, hey, right from the beginning, you know, just so you know, if you want to keep your limitations, then you get to keep them. Um, but if you want to keep your limitations because of your excuses, you're not going to go much farther. So the next thing is that he refers to the upper limit as a thermostat and that we all have this thermostat for success. Um, that we all have a thermostat for how much money we make, how much happiness we have. And even he talks at parts about how much wealth and health, I mean, how much wellness and health we have. I don't know. Um, 
I don't know exactly where that comes from, but he does talk and he'll get into that. I know later in the book about the fact that maybe we have a thermostat that is set at a certain point And after that, we feel uncomfortable. Now that is interesting, but it's more interesting. He gets into the talk about famous people, wealthy people who have lost everything and their thermostat was set at a certain place. And then when they went way beyond the way they were raised or their expectations in life or what they really thought they deserved, they lost everything because that thermostat's trying to, to bring them back down to where they feel comfortable and not necessarily what they want, which I think is interesting because on a conscious level, we want more, but somewhere there's this unconscious thermostat. Uh, I think that's a very interesting concept. And when he gives example after example, I believe there's truth to that. I, I really do. So, um, I also put in here, I don't want to go too, too far, too fast, but I'm going to click through because I, I bookmarked a page here. Um, I also put in here this on page 18 where he had this conversation as a little boy. Gay Hendricks, the author, had this conversation with his neighbor. And his neighbor gave him this incredible piece of wisdom. So Mr. Lewin was his neighbor and he said um, that he's kept this in mind for more than 50 years, what Mr. Lewin said to him. He said, on Judgment Day, Mr. Lewin said, God will not ask, why were you not Moses? God will ask, or he will ask, why were you not Sam Lewin? That got me, um, that we're never going to be expected to be anyone else or do what anyone else can do because it's really so individual. And that got my attention. It got my attention when I listened to the audiobook. I absolutely remember that. And reading the book again, that's true, right? That no one is ever going to expect you at the end of your life to account for somebody else's gifts and talents. Like, your life is your own path. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, here early on in the book. Number five, what role does gratitude play when we practice moving past our upper limits? I think it's huge. I think that gratitude is, um, when Theodore said earlier about changing your context altogether, I think we can't do that without gratitude because the context that we're in is all we know a lot of times. To grow beyond that and to expand beyond that requires us to develop appreciation and gratitude. Why would we have more and get to keep it if we didn't appreciate it? And that's where I think it connects back into the thing about the thermostat. So that thermostat regulates us, but the only way to really get to have more and keep more and be more and do more is to learn to appreciate. And so I think it's a growing process. I think it's something that happens over time. And certainly gratitude has to play a role in that. Um, 
So I'd love for you to share what kind of gratitude practices you do. I've been out of it this summer, but last school year I was keeping a little journal every night and I was just making five bullet points, five bullet points of things that I felt gratitude for, things that I was thankful for. And that's a really nice practice to do right before bed. So I need to get back into that. Number six, we often believe the worst about ourselves, yet many of us call ourselves people of faith. And I certainly do. Do these beliefs conflict? So that's referring to something on page 23. And he talks about the outer aspects of your life change to match the good feelings that you have inside of you. So when you feel happy and deserving, then you do create changes. But if we believe that we're not good enough, so this is the next paragraph. He says, many of us believe we're flawed, not destined for greatness or simply not good enough to deserve the dreams we want to achieve. And if we don't believe that we deserve better things. Yet we say we're in faith. We say we have a belief system. We say that we believe we're created for a purpose and that we have gifts and talents. But yet, on the other hand, we really don't believe that we're worthy. Then there's always going to be a conflict. And I wonder how much that plays into the fact that, um, and we'll talk about this again later on, but, you know, how much that plays into the fact that we feel that we even need a book called The Big Leap, that we even want that to be that fish going into that bigger tank. If we feel that we don't deserve it, we may want it, but when we get there, we feel like we don't belong. And we may be jumping back the other way from the big tank back into the small tank um, because we'll feel out of place. So I think it's a lot of, of work that has to be done. Um, and and maybe for different people that comes from different places or it's something that maybe we've always had and maybe that's normal for humans to feel some level of not deserving. Um, but I think that's something that has to be worked out. And he doesn't talk a lot about spiritual things in this book, but I think it's something that probably has to be worked out on an emotional level, on a mental level thought level, but also on some kind of spiritual level, because uh, he does talk a lot in here about people who just feel like they don't deserve what they have, and they certainly don't feel like they deserve better. So um, number seven, if our thoughts lead to behavior, how can we change our thoughts so that our behavior follows? And that's probably a big part of making the leap, I'm guessing, is changing thoughts so that we change what we do. Number eight, Hendricks provides examples of times when successful people made mistakes, sometimes with catastrophic consequences. Could they have foreseen their mistakes and avoided the pain? Or do you believe it was part of the learning process? Mm. Give me your answers. What do you think? You think it was part of the learning process? Or should they have known better? And how judgmental are we 
when we see other people who should know better, we think, and they have it all, and they throw it away. He uses examples of sports stars. He uses examples of former presidents, uh, a former president. He uses examples of lottery winners. He uses the example, and it's, it, it really is mind-boggling, about this lottery winner. And um, that's on page 24. A man who won more than $300 million in the Powerball. And, I mean, go ahead and read through that. I'm not going to tell you at all. And if you've already read it, you know. But a lot of bad things happened. Tragic things happened in this man's life. And I originally had heard this story on the news. And I thought, oh, well, he probably didn't have money. And he got $300 million and didn't know how to handle it. But that's actually not the whole story. This man was a wealthy businessman. He was already a millionaire. So he didn't go from poor to 300 million. He went from rich to more rich. And I'm wondering, and I think it's interesting, you know, did he break his thermostat? Did he go to a level that was so out of his element and he felt undeserving somehow that everything came crashing down. It's really a tragic story, um, really sad. And, uh, and it just makes me think, how does that happen? What, what was going on? Was it on a conscious level or was it entirely unconscious, you know, that someone with $300 million just had everything fall apart? And money certainly doesn't buy happiness. We know that. Number nine the zones. Where do I spend most of my time? That's when he's really getting uh, much deeper into after he talks about the upper limit problem, he really gets more um, trying to find the page where that starts, but it's page 29 where he starts with the zone of incompetence, which is what we don't want to be doing with our time. And I think we all feel what our zone of incompetence is, I don't think most of us have confusion about that. So the zone of incompetence is what you're totally incompetent at. But do we spend a lot of time there? We shouldn't really spend any time there as as absolute little as possible. And I'm not going to go into all those details because that's in the book. But what I do want to think about is how can I take just one step to eliminate something from the lower zones, particularly the zone of incompetence, and spend just a little bit more time and add something to the higher zones. So if you're going from the zone of incompetence on this spectrum, on this road to the zone of genius, how do I move, I'm in the screen here, how do I move from spending even a little time here when I need to be spending a lot of time up here. And, you know, yeah, he has four levels, but I see it as kind of a continuum also. So just gradually finding one thing that you can change, one thing that you can take away from the zone of incompetence and just move a little bit more towards the zone of genius. So be sure that you uh, study and understand those zones 
because that's really, that prepares you to study the rest of this book. So where am I spending most of my time? And just as you go through your week, and I need to do more of this too, looking at what I really could eliminate from the lower two zones at least, and what I could add to the higher two zones, you will find that he even encourages you even in the third zone to move into the fourth zone. So it's not all, um, it's not all easy. It definitely is a process. Number 10 is that he talks about diseases of unfulfillment. And I am kind of fascinated by this. It's on page 31 and or no, it might be on page 32. It's actually on page 32. Um, and do I see truth in this? And again, as I asked earlier, is this victim blaming or is it empowering? So is it blaming the victim or is it empowering to think that we would feel better and actually be healthier if we spent more time in our zone of genius? What he says is that he's met a lot of people who have different kinds of illnesses. Now, this is his words, not mine. It really, really makes me think, though. Um, he talks about someone who was referred, and, and he calls this the competence trap. So this woman's in her mid-40s, and that's often a time where he says, we kind of get this call to genius, where we know there's more, and we know we're capable, and we can do more. And he says, um, he calls them these diseases of unfulfillment. And he says, when people are not expressing their true or full potential, they often get illnesses that have vague, hard to diagnose symptoms. And he talks about examples such as chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. What do we think about that? I will say this. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I know for myself that there are times when I'm under stress and I allow myself to be in more negative thinking or less productive thinking and less gratitude that physically I don't feel as well. And that there are times when I notice a big difference in the way that I physically feel and my health when I know that mentally and emotionally I'm in the right place. So I believe in that body, mind, and spirit connection. And I believe this is not from the book, but my personal belief is that our body is the home for our spirit. So if that's true, there is a connection. I don't know if I feel that this, that it's always true what he's saying. I don't know. I don't know a lot about those diseases. Certainly everyone's heard about chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. And I know there are people who are in a lot of pain a lot of the time. And they don't feel well. I don't know. But he's saying he has seen... What, and it maybe it's chicken or the egg. Maybe if you change the thinking then the body chemistry does change. But he's saying he's seen improvement in people when they spend a lot of their time, and he's talking about the second zone, 
which is the zone of competence. Things that you can do that you're good at, but anybody else could do them. You're a cog in the machine. You are easily replaceable at work or what you do is, um, you know, easily done by anyone else. It's not special. It's not unique. It doesn't make you feel alive. It doesn't give you energy. It's no real reason to get up in the morning. And he's saying he sees an improvement when people move away from that and move closer into their zone of genius. I think it's really, really interesting. And then number 11 is the last topic that I have on the study guide. And it says, how do I feel about the possibility that I have a calling to spend time working in a unique and personal zone of genius? Do I think this is a possibility for everyone? And what would my life look like if it were true and if I found it? Wow. So what would that look like? Um, I can tell you this. I know that since I heard this book, I have been working on a path to get closer to my zone of genius, but I know that I'm not there yet. And I know what some of that would look like if I were there. And, um, and it still will be a process. It still is a work in progress. And so that's probably ongoing throughout life. But I think it's important to just think about what would that be? What, what would that look like? (laughs) The bugs are coming out. I'm out here, um, out here in, out here in the backyard. But, um, yeah, what would that look like? And what could that look like? And it's pretty amazing when you think about it. So are there any questions, any comments, anything about the intro in chapter one that, yeah. Oh, Theodore, a bunch is popping up. Yeah. Taking a chance. I hope, I don't know if these are actually popping up in real time either, guys. Um, considering you're, you're considering, yeah, that this might have some, some relevance to your personal life and sorting out what's next. Yeah. Believing there can be another level. Yeah. I believe it is there. I do believe there's a zone of genius. And, and like I said, although that's not part of the context of this book, for me, that really, really meshes with my faith system, with my beliefs. So believing that we are given talents and abilities and our certain backgrounds and everything comes together to make us so unique. I really believe that that says that there is a zone of genius. Um, You know, what that makes me think of is I, years ago, I worked with people with developmental disabilities and I loved that work. I started doing that when I was in college and I continued off and on for years. Uh, It was really special. I loved what I did. And, um, and we had people who had Down syndrome, had autism, had cerebral palsy, who wanted to do different kinds of jobs, different things. And, um, you know, I, 
I worked with people who wanted, I, I worked with a guy I remember who wanted to work in the grocery store and he'd had a job and he'd gotten fired and, um, and he wanted to try again and he won that job so badly. And, and I've said this before, I believe that there is a zone of genius I never had those words before. It wasn't something that I was aware of. But looking back, yeah, a zone of genius to have a job like working in a grocery store. Because for some people, that really is a dream job that they absolutely love. That makes them happy to do. And that makes them feel proud. It makes them feel worthy. And for somebody else, that's entirely the wrong job. That's not a job that they enjoy. It's not a job that makes them happy. Maybe maybe they belong somewhere else. And if we're in someone else's place and we're not in our own zone of genius, then maybe that spot's not open for them. And I guess that's kind of like thinking that you can just go around in circles forever and make yourself crazy. But, um, but yeah, I do believe there's a zone of genius. I believe there's a place and I believe that we all were given and gifted certain things that make us special. So, um, so you guys are special for being here and for being you. And I'm wrapping up now, but I thank you so much for being here. Um, if you would like the study guide, just go to about on the midlife best page. And for now, until I figure out another workaround, you can just go to where it says menu and download that or I'll email it to you gladly. Just email heather at midlifebest.com and I'll email you that PDF. And we'll have another one for next week. We're going to meet next Sunday. I think we'll end up doing four meetings to get through the whole book, but we'll play it by ear. Um, So next week we're going to be doing chapters two and three. Chapter two is called Making the Leap. And chapter three is called Getting Specific. So that's it. Thank you guys so much for joining me and keep reading, taking notes and implementing and have a great week.